Our scripture lesson this morning comes from uh, the book of Ephesians, and we're looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. I invite you to turn now there with me in your own text. Hear now the word of the Lord. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you, and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mysteries of Christ. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind as it has now been revealed to his, to his apostles and, and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. Of this gospel, I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the, of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places." This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. This is the word of God for the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Holy God, as we come to you in this time, we ask that you would open our hearts and allow us to be receptive of your word to be inscribed upon us anew. May that word then transform us and send us out to be agents of transformation and grace in the world. In this time, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts on your words be good and pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our strength and redeemer. Amen. We're in a new year. It's like, you know, it's a big deal. The ball dropped, the moon pie dropped, and we're like here in a whole new year. And a new year, for many people, typically means New Year's resolutions. And these are our hopes to make a year of excellence for ourselves. In other words, everything that we can do to be our best selves are summed up in our New Year's resolutions, in our goals for this year. But for some of us, if you're like me, our year of excellence ends before January does as we break our resolutions. So each year we're left with the same question. How do we be better for ourselves and for others? How do we be better for ourselves and for others? Because that's what we try to do every single year at the beginning of the year. We just try to wrap that up. How can we be our best selves? And each year the church not just this church, not just the United Methodist Church, but the Church Universal is often left wrestling with the same question. So for this month, for the month of January, we're going to be trying to answer that question. How do we live into a year of excellence, a year beyond mediocrity, a year of being our best selves? And so funny enough, we start this journey 
on today, the day of Epiphany. So yeah, you might be wondering, like, hasn't Christmas passed? Why are these Christmas decorations still up? Is it just because we're lazy and we're waiting till this coming Saturday to take them down? Um, no, we are actually still doing this Christmassy stuff because we're still in Christmas. This day of Epiphany uh, is the day in which we celebrate and remember the day that God incarnate was revealed to the Magi, to the wise men or the three kings, whatever you might want to dub them. Um, and it's a day we celebrate remembering that. And this day, Epiphany, is actually an older holiday in the church than even Christmas itself. Some uh, traditions have even dubbed this day the Little Christmas. And some people even give gifts on this day. So kids, ask your parents. And so on this day of Epiphany, I love that we get to talk about starting a new year on this day because the word epiphany means a revelation or an appearance or a vision or just generally it's an expression of newfound understanding. And newfound understanding is essential for new life, for transformed life. That newfound understanding that we gain offers us the question of why? Why is a new life important? Why is a transformed life important? And that question of why is very significant. We're going to explore that more. But for the wise men, the newfound understanding or their epiphany was that this truly was God incarnate present before them. And this is then attributed to even the, the beginning of the spread of Christianity in the East when they return home. So for the wise men, this epiphany, this revelation, this vision was them gaining a newfound understanding of what God incarnate means, of who God is present. And a little background on these wise men or magi or whatever you want to call them. Uh, they were priests of uh, a religion called Zoroastrianism. Uh, that's just a religion that really focused a lot on the stars. They were really big into astrology. And so whenever it says they followed a star, that was important because Zoroastrians, I think that's right, Zoroastrians, uh, knew the stars. They knew them very well. And so whenever they see um, that star isn't where it's supposed to be or wasn't there before, whatever that is, so we're going to, you know, follow that and figure out what's going on. These three magi, wise men, whatever, uh, were priests uh, following this because they had a, this revelation that something new was taking place, that something different was happening, that something that they thought was constant, the stars, was being changed. And we know from our perspective that that was all being changed in a moment in which God incarnate enters the human history, the human story. And so that's the epiphany that they received. A similar epiphany or revelation, as he calls it, happens to Paul, the author of our text today. Paul was a man in need of much grace. If you don't know his story, Paul was a, uh, a strong figure in the community who, um, as this Christian sect of Judaism was beginning to rise up, people were following this proclaimed Messiah, uh, Paul was the guy who was walking around saying, don't do that, and telling certain people, hey, stone these people. And uh, yeah, he, he had a lot of um, blood on his hands. It wasn't the best of human beings looking back on his story. But he receives this revelation, this moment on his journey in which he witnesses Christ. 
God right before him. And his life is turned around because he experiences grace. And so as his life is turned around uh, from this revelation, he then redirects his life. Paul claims that his own newfound understanding for following Christ, his reason, as he calls it in verse 1, where he says, this is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. That reason that he's talking about, that revelation, is grace. Paul was a man in need of much grace, and his ministry then begins to take off based off of this grace that was bestowed upon him. And he takes it out to the world to say, I know that the rest of the world can thrive on this grace, that the rest of the world needs to come to an understanding of this grace, this grace that is offered by the God of the universe. And so that's what the rest of his life is dedicated to. But he has a reason. He has a reason for living this transformed life. And that's what we need to focus on. You see, if we want to truly live transformed lives, then we need a reason to stick to it. Otherwise, we fall to some temptation or another and drop right back into life as it was before. Did any of you watch the, uh, the ball drop in Times Square? Did anybody get to see that on TV? Yeah, I, I watched that. It was a tradition. Um, we, we then watched the moon pie drop. Don't worry. But we watched the, the ball drop in Times Square. And if you got to see this, you would have noticed a curious scene. As the cameras panned all across Times Square in New York City, what most people saw were these giant, I mean, these absolutely massive purple hats. And they were just everywhere. And I'm thinking, like, what? It's, did, like, Mardi Gras come early to New York? I don't, I don't understand. And then they zoom in on these massive purple hats, and plastered across the front is the logo, Planet Fitness. And it's a brilliant marketing strategy on their part, right? Because it's New Year's Eve, people are getting ready for their New Year's resolutions, and they're, they're you know, one of the number one New Year's resolutions that people take on is to live a healthier lifestyle, And so Planet Fitness jumps in there with their marketing and says, hey, we've got cheap memberships, judgment-free zone. Come hang out with us. We'll get you to your resolution. We know how to do that. So it's a brilliant marketing strategy on their part because they know that people want a healthier lifestyle. It's actually, uh, go ahead and confess to you, that's part of my own New Year's resolution, that I uh, want to live into a healthier lifestyle. Yet, despite the incredible surge in gym memberships that Planet Fitness has already seen and many other gyms across uh, the, the country have already seen, by, oh, by the end of February, over half, and by some projections, even 80% of those people who signed on for new memberships will stop attending those gyms regularly. They just, just kind of give up on it. Why do you think that is? And this is the part where I'm going to not ask a rhetorical question. I'm going to ask a very direct question, and we're going to do a little, see if, see if people want to talk this morning. So actually, answer for me. Why do you think people just kind of stop going before February's even over? What's that? Lack of conviction. Lack of conviction? Yes, absolutely. It's cold. Say that. The new war off. Ooh, that's good. I haven't heard that before. That's really good. Yeah. It's cold outside. It's cold outside. Yeah, I don't want to get out. I don't want to get out of my house. Don't make me do that. Conflicts and scheduling, absolutely. Baby Yoda. That's what I've been doing. No results. 
ooh, yeah, that's tough when you don't get results, especially if you're an instant gratification person like myself. So yeah, all of these things play into this, uh, into this reality that come February, those gym memberships, people still own them, people still have those memberships, but they stop taking advantage of them, they stop utilizing them, and they've, uh, they've fallen back into their regular lifestyle. And all of these reasons that you've talked about are absolutely true, and it really boils down to it's just easier not to go. It's just easier, right? Ultimately, you know, if, if you're going to go to the gym, if you don't live close to the gym, then you've got to get in the car, and you've got to turn the car on, and you've got to sit in traffic. You've got to get there. And then once you're there, you've got to pick out a machine and then pretend like you know what you're doing because everybody else there seems like they know what they're doing. And then you've got to actually do the work and then go home and you're all sweaty and you've got to clean up. And then, oh, guess what? You've got to do that again the next time you decide to go. And so it just ends up being easier not to go. It ends up being easier to live the lifestyle that we're just accustomed to living. And in fact, being active and attending a gym is much more difficult. And so, if we want to actually stick to a more difficult lifestyle, then we need to have a reason to commit. Something that's going to drive us, something that's going to motivate us, something that's going to convict us into living into that. And that's where this newfound understanding, this epiphany or vision comes into play. And now people are starting to think, like, how is Micah about to connect Jesus to Planet Fitness? <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to stretch it a little bit. <laughs> if I personally, me, myself, want to stick to a healthier lifestyle, and I do, that is my plan, I want to stick to a healthier lifestyle, then I need to have a vision for my life of where I want to be, say, by next year. I need to have a goal, something that I'm pointing to. And it has to be something that's good, right? Something that means enough to me. For example, if I want to live a healthier lifestyle, then what, why do I want to do that? Why? Well, for me, it's probably because by 2021, I want to look like Ryan Reynolds. And I came up with Ryan Reynolds in the earlier service and forgot what he looked like whenever I said Ryan Reynolds. And then I looked at Ryan Reynolds and said, yes, I do want to look like Ryan Reynolds. Probably not going to happen by 2021 or ever in my life. But say that that's what I want. That's what I'm trying to get there. And is looking like Ryan Reynolds for Micah Wright good enough for me to cling to living a healthier lifestyle, to going to the gym regularly, to eating well, uh, you know, doing all of the effort and energy that's involved? That vision, that reason, that newfound understanding, it keeps us on track. It motivates us and guides us. But it has to be good enough. If we want to live into a year of excellence, a year of being better than we currently are, then we need a good enough reason not to just slip back into the easy life. And yet this process doesn't just stop at the individual level. In fact, it's more profound if we take it to the community level. And that's what I want to really dive into today, is talking about this reason for the church. The for our church here, Sprinkle Avenue, as well as the church universal, take it however you would like. But this church, the, the church also needs this vision, also needs this reason to live into being something better than it is right now. And so the reason that Paul talks about in Ephesians ends up getting translated, that grace, he ends up translating it into a vision, a hope 
for the future of the church. And he says this in verses 8 through 10. He says, Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that, that word so that is important. That is the reason right there. So that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Paul has given a, cast a vision for the church, a place in which he believes the church needs to get to. And that vision involves the church taking grace to the rest of the world, to even see the world transformed by that same grace. In this text, Paul as does like the rest of the Bible, calls the church to move beyond the comfortable, easy life. Whereas for people, that comfortable, easy life is one of, you know, less than healthy eating and general laziness. The church kind of ends up looking the same way in that the church become, the easy life for the church is one of self-indulgence. It's easy for the church to get caught up in being its own entity and just taking care of itself instead of taking grace to the world and caring for those in need. It's easy for the church to say, hey, this is our social club. We are the people who gather here, and that's it, and everybody else can just do whatever they need to do. You're welcome to show up, but just know that's as far as we're going to let you go, and that's as far as we are going to go. It's easy for churches to say that. At any point in their life cycle, no matter how big or small the church might be, it's easy to say that's as far as we're willing to go, to stick in that comfort zone. But Paul is challenging the church to go beyond that easy life into a life that takes grace to the world. Now, this is one of those easier said than done kind of things because it's one thing to talk about taking grace to the world and another thing entirely to be a transformed community that starts looking out for others rather than just itself. There's, a, there's something that has to happen in between this talking about it and this actual doing it. And that thing that happens in between is a reason. It's an epiphany. It's a revelation. It's a vision. So in order to keep from falling into a selfish mindset, the church also needs that newfound understanding that comes from the epiphany, the revelation, the vision, whatever that might be. In other words, we have to ask ourselves, what do we as a church want to be known for in a year or five years or in the next decade when 2030 rolls around? Because that's what people look at from the outside. What is that church known for? Are they known for showing up to every single community mission project that needs to be done? Or are they known for, oh, they're still open? And so we, as a community, need to take it upon ourselves to be a people who live into a year of excellence. We need a reason to be more than just a building. We need a reason to be more than just a social club. We need a reason to be a people who take grace to the world. For Paul, the reason was to see the world transformed by the wisdom of God. What will it be for us? And that's the question that I want to ask for us today. Is it's, what is our vision? 
What are we looking towards? What will drive us into a year of excellence? Because I believe in that. I believe in, in a year of excellence. I believe that, that from this day on, we can be a church that lives into more than, than just what we are now. And I'm not saying that what we are now is bad in any way or a great, fantastic community, but I'm saying we don't have to stop there. I'm saying we don't have to stop where we have been. We can keep moving forward. I believe in a year of excellence. But here's the thing. Just as a community is built of many individuals, so too must this vision begin at an individual level. We need individually each of us to experience this same revelation, the same epiphany that God is present and working in our world and wants us to be a part of it. We need to cling to that, that God is present and working in our world right now and wants us to be a part of it. And so are we willing to live into it? Are we willing to build for ourselves a year of excellence? Do we have enough conviction? Do we have a good enough reason to live into it? That's where, we're working, where we begin, where we start working from, establishing this foundation. And this is going to be one of those sermons that doesn't end very, very neatly. I need a little bit of a cliffhanger here because we're not done. It's not like this is a, I'm just going to say this and it's all going to work out. But tune in next week. We might get there. But as we think about this next year before us, I want us to consider what it looks like to be transformed to be a transformed people seeking to transform the world through the grace of God. And so as we prepare our hearts in this time for Holy Communion, let us also consider how we might need to be transformed, what our new life might start to look like, what a year of excellence might be for us. It's not too late to start a New Year's resolution because guess what, you still have 360 days left. 361, it's a leap year. And so let us be a people who live into a year of excellence. And let us pray together this morning.